0: Good morning, Twitter. I'm Saeed Jones. He is Isaac Fitzgerald,
1: and you are watching AM to DM. Let's start with this tweet from BuzzFeed News BuzzFeed News employees have unionized, and the company signaled it is open to voluntary recognition. Here's how the BuzzFeed News union Twitter account put it We are
0: single, taken, no, organizing BuzzFeed News to secure protections
1: ourselves. And they also tweeted this. <laughs> you ain't never had a union like me! No, that's what you say. What I say I'm turning my card in. That's it. I signed it, and I'm turning it in just because of that meme. No, listen, we both signed cards. Congratulations <laughs> yes. of course to all of our colleagues. Over 90% of eligible editorial staffers signed up for this union, that's and also cool. was announced yesterday that BuzzFeed Canada and BuzzFeed Germany will be following suit. So again, congratulations 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 to everyone!
0: Yeah, it's an exciting time, and I hope it's like a positive, fast uh, conversation. And it's also neat. I mean, seeing you know, follow the Buzzfeed News Union account in part because it's fun to see um, what the conversation about unionizing looks like at Buzzfeed in our voice. And so it is memes. It is a sense of humor, and it is the brilliance and journalism that we all know and celebrate here. So it's it's cool.
1: That said, one more genie meme. I am out. Uh, Before we move on, though, here is a tweet from you, Said. Hi, horse, slack. Line dances across the timeline. Uh, Just while we're talking about joining things, Welcome to the Casey Musgraves standom. Thank you. You are doing Thank some you. good, that's some decent line, line dancing line dan- too. Well,
0: you know, I did go to school in Texas. That's and okay. In Texas, okay. when you're in elementary school, you actually learn line dancing for a unit in PE. I don't know yeah. if that happens elsewhere, but yeah, it's great. Um, our friend Amina So uh, mm. posted some clips. She's been really into the black yeehaw <laughs> movement. It's a good movement. On her good Instagram movement. story. And I was like, oh, this song is great. And I looked it up. At one point yesterday, I listened to High Horse on repeat for two and a half hours.
1: Two and a half hours. I was working on an I do that too. I, I when you get yeah. like really in love with a song, you start and to it play it over it. I mean, and over it, it again. It has
0: that like country disco kind of thing where you just
1: kind of get pulled into the vibes.
2: Absolutely. Let yeah. me
1: ask you this. Have you listened to the rest of the album? Oh, absolutely not. Absolutely not. I'm so excited the time will come. for you to discover so much more. Have you listened to the first <laughs> Casey
3: Musgrave's album? <laughs>
1: I didn't realize she had another house. Yes, she does. It was in 2013. You know, she's actually from Texas as well, my friend. We, we you have was. a lot in common with Casey Musgraves. Um, and it's interesting to me, uh, Amina is who you credit with bringing Casey Musgraves That's into your rolling. house. Happy Black History about Amina. Uh, she, uh, just yesterday. Yeah, Nobody just else yesterday. has really mentioned no. Casey Musgraves to you we'll or encouraged you to listen. Listen, I'm just saying that he's a very Sagittarius person. You have to let him discover things on his own, despite how much you've maybe been telling him for years that he would enjoy them. Thank you, Amina. Ah! Uh, okay,
0: Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> Let's take it to the timeline. Like me with Casey Musgraves, what's some great music that you came to late? But listen, when you show up, you are always on time, darling, and everyone will love it. Uh, let us know using the hashtag, I Bet You Think You're John Wayne.
1: Okay, <laughs> nicely done.
0: Okay, so you might have seen this video from Inside Edition, and it is on its high horse children. Uh, it's about <laughs> the so-called epidemic of fair beating on the subway. It's a lot. Let's take a quick look. <laughs>
4: Here in New York City, the problem has gotten so bad, it cost $215 million in lost revenue last year. Watch as this guy just leaps over the turnstile.
1: This guy just leaps over the turnstile. (laughs) NPR's Gene Demby tweeted, When I was dead broke, like literally $12 to my name, I got popped twice in a week for turnstile jumping in NYC. They hit me with escalating fines that I couldn't pay and threatened me with a night in jail if I did it again. This video is vicious as fuck. Being poor is expensive. Being poor is expensive.
0: Jules tweeted this. Not only is this piece absolutely terrible for trying to shame strangers and maybe some teenagers in public, but the fact is that less than 4% of riders evade the fare. Yet the cost of a subway ride went up by nearly 20% in the last five years. So maybe shove this
1: self-righteous shame piece where it belongs. Where does it belong? Right up your ass! Gothamist <laughs> reporter Jake Offenhearts joins us now. Jake, good morning. Good morning, guys. Okay, listen, you had this to say about that video from Inside Edition. If there was any question about why the MTA gave their fair beating reel to TV news and TV news only, well, so tell us more, Jake. Yeah, so
5: the context of this video, um, which Inside Edition does not really get into, is that the MTA sort of made this concerted effort in December to uh, blame fair beating for a lot of their financial woes lately. Um, so that you heard that number of $215 million a year. Um, there's like a lot of really important context there. That's not a ton of money as far as like a $16 billion operating budget goes. The MTA is also sitting on $80 million in leftover Metro Card fees each year. I mean, there's a lot that was obviously missing from this segment, and I think that's part of the reason people reacted to it that way.
0: Okay, and so let's do the work now that Inside Edition did not do. Why would the MTA and uh, the governor of the state of New York uh, emphasize fair beating as obviously everyone is constantly complaining, fix the subway?
5: Yeah, um, I think there's a few reasons. One is that, as you as you point out, service has steadily deteriorated deteriorated over the past few years, and people are starting to notice that and get increasingly angry about it. Um, another thing is that there there is this effort going on citywide to sort of lessen the punishment for fare evasion. There's this conversation that's happening around um, who evades the fares and who gets arrested for evading the fares. So data shows that that's 90% people of color, black, excuse me, black and Latino men. Um, so, I mean, this is just kind of all within like a pretty interesting moment of what's going to happen to fair evaders as people are getting increasingly angry about the state of the subway.
1: Yeah, I saw a lot of comments on the timeline that were like, oh, this is not the best use of investigative funds. And I think that's a very good point. For me personally, though, I was like, this is terrible because it's snitching. It is snitching. You shouldn't snitch. You shouldn't snitch in situations like this especially. So let me ask you, Jake. I saw that woman was like holding her microphone in people's faces. What else about that video stood out to you?
5: Um, Well, one of the first things we noticed when we watched it is that about a dozen of the people that they show walking through the emergency exit look like teenagers. Um, Late last night, we got an email from one of those teenagers. He's a student at Hunter College High School. He's a 10th grader. And he told us that this is something that happens every day around this time because these kids have to go to gym class from 96th Street to 68th Street. And their school gives them Metro cards, but they only get a certain amount of swipes. And so they end up just needing to kind of beat the fare once a day to get to a school-mandated activity. This is the one. One of their pals opens the door for them. They all kind of go through. To me, that's really interesting. I I know that 100 kids were uh, taking the subway to gym class. He says that no one at Inside Edition actually asked them why they were doing this or what was going on. Okay. Wow. That's That's a really
0: interesting point. And Jake, you know, as we thank you for joining us this morning, it also underscores the importance of local journalism. I'm so glad The Gothamist is
1: back and you were able
5: to join us this morning.
1: Oh, thank you. And congrats on the union.
5: That is really exciting. And we look forward to swift recognition.
1: Thank you. Awesome. Thanks for saying that, Jake. And let's take it to the timeline. Let's just vent. Ooh, let What's it out. one of your worst subway experiences. Let us know using the hashtag fixTheMTA, you bastards. <laughs> also feel free to at them. You know what? I'm I'm not all about adding all the time. At the governor as well. Feel free. Mm. Speaking of taking it to the timeline, yesterday tech reporter and co-founder of Recode, Kara Swisher, interviewed Jack Dorsey for 90 minutes live on the timeline using the hashtag KaraJack. And here's a tweet from The Atlantic's Taylor Lorenz.
0: I can't believe two high-profile people had a Twitter chat today like it was 2013. You know, Mm. me either. It just seems so out of sync with the times. I mean, it's not like there's a live Twitter morning show that Mm. they could come on to talk.
1: Come on the show, Jack. Come Come on the show. Anytime. Taylor joins us now. Good morning. Hey guys.
6: Hi. <laughs> I, mean,
1: you're, I get apartment jealousy every time we talk oh, to Taylor. That <laughs> exposed brick. Uh. I'm just like, I need to decorate my apartment better. <laughs> Listen, Taylor, why a live Twitter chat in 2019?
6: Uh, I have literally no idea. It's funny. I, I just assumed that they would be talking on live stream, like kind of how the show airs. And so I went to click and I clicked the hashtag and I was like, wait, where's the video? Um, and I, it's, it baffles me. I mean, even Kara in, in one of her first tweets was like, this is probably going to be chaos. Like, and it was, Yeah, it was, insane.
0: it was just weird. That said, of course, I always appreciate when there are journalists talking to Jack Dorsey, because at least we get some insight into what he's thinking. So is it fair <laughs> yeah. to say that Jack has been doing a lot of interviews lately?
6: Yeah, he's been on a whole press tour. And I think it's really illuminated, um, you know, a lot of things, a lot of his, exactly what you said, a lot of his thinking, you know, (laughs) for better or worse. Um, And I, you know, so I, I, I appreciate him wanting to be more transparent. And I appreciate him wanting to, you know, sort of have a dialogue with journalists. I just think this was the worst format to do it.
1: Okay, but, but let's talk about that. Not just that interview, but also these other interviews that he's been doing a lot of recently. What stood out to you, Taylor? What has he been saying that's, that's of interest?
6: I think it's what he's not been saying. I mean, it's, it's what he's refusing to acknowledge, which is that Twitter is a toxic cesspool and they need to deal with their harassment problem. And most people, um, you know, have a very negative experience on Twitter. Um, it's, and he's just refused to acknowledge it over and over again. Um, the people who he's kind of pointed to have been problematic as, as, you know, great Twitter users. Like he, you know, he, he clearly doesn't doesn't understand the average Twitter user's experience or what it's like to be a power user of his platform. And both of those are, are going to be problems because, you know, as we saw recently, Twitter is not big. It's smaller, you know, has fewer daily users than Snapchat. Um, and it's going to continue to decline unless he starts meeting users' needs, which is to have a safe, happy productive experience on the platform.
0: Right. Uh, To that point, and one of the examples you cited, uh, a moment, and this stood out to me as well, Kara asked him, okay, so who is one of the most exciting, influential people on Twitter right now? (laughs) Right. Which is like, you know, that answer kind of gives us a lot of insight. And here's what he said. To me personally, I like how Elon Musk uses Twitter. He's focused on solving existential problems and sharing his thinking openly. I respect that a lot. All of the ups and downs that come with it. Um, um, yeah, at least he didn't say Kanye. Uh, but uh, but to this point that you but mentioned... like,
6: they're two sides of the same coin. Right. I mean, it's, it's, yeah, this is insane. The fact that he would look to somebody like that. And by the way, like, Elon Musk has, get, has been abusive to people on Twitter. He's been hugely problematic. He's literally being investigated for some of his tweets because he, you know, famously kind of messed with the stock price of his company, um, by, by tweeting out a 420 joke. Um, he is probably one of the worst winners also openly accused, um, somebody baselessly of pedophilia for, for, you know, the, the cave diver who rescued all those children from the, from the cave. I, I, it's insane. It's that just that like exactly that shows his thinking and that shows exactly the type of people that he prioritizes on this platform.
0: Not a model user. Exactly. <laughs> no, exactly. Not
6: somebody that's stimulating healthy conversation or even using Twitter the way that Jack purports that it should be used, you know, which is sharing information, like contributing to this sort of global town square. No, this guy is this is this like privileged billionaire who's coming on here to pick on other people. And, and that's who, you know, Jack is saying is their sort of model citizen.
1: Yeah, you know who I like, the guy that punches down all the time. Taylor, I just wanted to point out, you, you, you actually posted on February 11th, posted more on Instagram and less on Twitter until this platform can fix its harassment issues. So I wanted to ask you, Taylor, what would you like to see Twitter do?
6: Oh my god! Well, I think the controls that they've given users have been really great on the timeline. You know, they do give you the ability to mute replies. Unfortunately, um, you know, things often fall through those cracks. Um, But Twitter needs to be proactive. I mean, Jack said several times in his chat yesterday, "Oh, well, you know, our our you know our our instances of abuse are based on people reporting it. So you have to see it and then report it." That is insane. You know, they they need to take take a cue from Instagram, Facebook, that kind of, I mean, all, who also, by the way, don't moderate their platforms perfectly, but, you know, they need to be, take more proactive steps in moderating stuff. They also have been so remiss to kick off these hugely problematic, damaging people. I mean, they took forever. They waffled on Alex Jones, despite him openly violating their terms of service. Um, and then, you know, there's been several other kind of right-wing figures that have used that platform to abuse people and um, harass them and wage these harassment campaigns. and so Twitter's been slow to take action. And and when they have taken action, like for instance, in the learned code kind of debacle, um, they haven't communicated it clearly enough. And and so they faced backlash. So more they just in- don't, they, they don't, they don't acknowledge that it's a problem. And that's the core issue.
1: And that's the core issue. Proactive, more people involved and clear communication. Taylor, thank you so much for joining us this morning.
6: Thanks for having me.
1: Gosh, Taylor just
0: gives me life.
6: Listen, yeah, if, man, if you best. aren't
0: following her, I said this before, I was like, listen, if you were covering news, you know, in terms of technology online and social media, if you were competing against uh, Taylor Lorenz, I'd be shook
5: because she, <laughs> is,
0: she is truly the one to watch. Like, I would girl, just say, also just follow her. Just follow follow her. You don't want no smoke, though. You don't want no smoke. Shout out to her. All right, we have another great show for you this morning. Wilson Cruz from Star Trek Discovery is going to be here.
1: From Rent. I've been listening to Rent a lot recently. It's how I'm trying to stop it. Hamilton, is now I'm listening okay, to Rent, fair and fair I'll fair listen fair. to laymans <laughs> But up next, fire tweets. I'm just saying. <laughs>
0: Okay, so there's a new trailer for Frozen Toast. Yeah, we're um, gonna open fire tweets with Frozen. <laughs> um, oh, I see what she did. Okay, here's a tweet from TaylorXO. Um, I would like to think they are giving Elsa a girlfriend in Frozen 2 and that she is drawing a heart. Uh, maybe not, but I want to plant this seed and watch it grow. Catch me in November being psyched if I'm right or psyched if I'm wrong uh, because Frozen is the best either way. I, listen, the trailer. I if, live. if you're wrong, Taylor, you can write some
1: fanfic. Yeah, we both watched the trailer this morning, it yeah. was absolutely I awesome. Like that. She's running up those running waves for the water to meet her lover. That's I love her. I want. I want Moana. Is she running to Moana? Is that? I think she's like, help me out, water. Help you're, me out. you're putting <laughs> it out in the I universe. All right, well, let's <laughs> take it to the timeline. We want to hear all your Frozen Two predictions. What do you think is going to go on? I do you like think it. there will be a is, lesbian is Olaf aspect to it? Is Olaf still with us? I believe Olaf. I saw him. Oh, I saw okay. him in there. Okay, okay absolutely. Cool. Let cool. us know using the hashtag #AM2. Let it go. I'm not gonna try. Oh
0: wow. Okay, now I got that stuck in my head. Okay, let's get into these fire tweets. This comes from Eileen. On TV, no men can tie a necktie, but all women can, and there's no backstory <laughs> to explain it.
1: I'm sorry. That's just a really good point. It's really like anyone good. on TV. It like we need to do give
0: it. the characters an opportunity to have like some mm, intimacy and mm, show that they have mm, a long mm, relationship. Mm. So wins or not? Could you? No. T- okay. Here we go. <laughs>
5: <laughs>
1: Don't judge. Me. Wow. Don't I got I bad me. sound <laughs> Lindsay tweeted I like to end arguments in LA by screaming, at the end of the day, we both will never be homeowners. That's <laughs> Listen, just, it's on, not girl? just LA. It's not just LA. Yeah, girl. Ooh, that real estate. That is tough.
0: Well, good luck. You ain't going to be a homeowner, though. Tim Long tweeted this (laughs) conversation I just had. Me, uh, two Thin Mints, please, Girl Scout. That'll be $10. Or you can get four boxes for $20. Me, Um, that's not a savings, Girl Scout. No one said it (laughs) was!
1: four boxes would be great. Yeah, there, you, it there it is. There it is. You buy Yeah, Girl Scouts will come for you. The futurist female. They are hitting their goals. <laughs> they get real into Remember when you I think it was during
0: the Oscars where they like they were selling Girl Scout cookies during the um, awards broadcast and made like a
1: bunch of money? My favorite is the Girl Scouts that get outside the dispensaries. Yeah, they're moving products. May tweeted friend. Where have you been? I miss you. Me, gradually descending into madness through minor inconveniences that erode my fragile self-esteem.
0: I've been kind of busy. Mm. Mm. Happy Aquarius season, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> Red for filth and accurate. Thank you. Are you ready for Tweet of the Day? Let's do it. I love this tour name. It comes from Hefty Batch. Shouty. <laughs> You tweeted, 32 years on Earth and I never met a woman named Jolene. <laughs> Dolly told the world what Jolene was doing and we haven't heard from her since.
1: <laughs> Jolene is like, I'm out. I'm moving. Ah. Nobody's ever named. That's the thing. You can't call your kid Jolene. I just feel like it's. I mean, when I a song is that good it just takes the name out of
0: the game. I would totally name my child Jolene Jones. I'd be like, yeah, she's a bad bitch. <laughs> like,
1: <laughs> you know what time it Oh, is- <laughs> Jolene Jones is a good name. Alright, coming up, Said so sits down with Star Trek Discovery star Wilson Cruz. But up next, we are going live from the district, Jolene Jones. What's the middle name? Jolene Sweet Jones.
0: Welcome back. We are going live from the district. Here's a tweet from CNN citing two sources close to the president. Trump plans to sign
1: the border deal to avoid another shutdown. Hmm. Joining us now is BuzzFeed News DC Bureau Chief Kate Nasera. Good morning, Kate. Good morning. All right. uh, I just want to start with, I don't trust it. (laughs) How close were we to signing a deal last time before it all fell apart? Mm.
7: Well, last time it passed the Senate, so it literally moved through a body of Congress and then stopped at the House uh, when everyone, I guess, realized they had already made a deal that they didn't like. Uh, So we weren't and uh, that we were a little bit closer than we are now, but still not that close. I mean, this is this is wild, guys. Like, it, it, c- Congress has made a deal. Trump is, you know, everything sort of depends on what Trump does and what he's seeing on the television in the next 48 hours. Right. I'm like, gonna... that is how we're going to decide.
0: Absolutely. <laughs> so, and, and to that point, so it's not ludicrous to be like, well— does it matter if the president watches Fox and Friends and, and the way they talk about it could actually influence how this goes? That's not just ludicrous?
7: No, that's not crazy at all. Okay. You're good. You got <laughs> it. That's that's the world we live in now in 2019. <laughs> I'm just gonna gonna AIDS. <laughs> come do just my like, job,
1: Said. AIDS are just standing yeah. in front of the television. AIDS are just kind of <laughs> like, like doing do anything it. they can to don't distract. Do don't do it. I wanted, to, I wanted to ask, Kate, Like, do we know any of the details about the deal?
7: Yeah, uh, it does include about $1.3 billion for border security. Um, we don't have all the written details down, but we do know uh, that number. And so what Senate appropriators are doing right now are trying to convince the president that that is a good number, uh, that he's going to get some of what he wants at least. But that is less money than he was offered in December. So we had a whole very long shutdown Uh, just to get less money than he was actually offered.
1: That's interesting. I didn't know that. I mean, it's like that Girl
0: Scout tweet we were talking about earlier. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) And and listen, you know, Kate, and of course I know you feel the same way, as ludicrous and wild as all this is, and of course has huge implications for like over 800,000 federal workers. So I I wanted to read a tweet about this for them. Um, The Washington Post, Tracy Jan tweeted, uh, federal workers remember the last time there was a shutdown deal, and as uh, Kate mentioned, how close it came, and it fell apart at the last minute. So for now, they are keeping their side jobs, refilling prescriptions, and have canceled, I guess, Valentine's Day date nights, because that's coming up. So Kate, I mean... Yikes! Uh, What do we know um, about furloughed workers from the last shutdown? Have they even, like, received their back pay from last time?
7: Yeah, it depends on agency to agency. So it depends on, like, what your, how quickly your HR and your agency can get that done for you. Uh, So we don't totally know. uh, Federal contractors who are also furloughed, who do not actually qualify as federal employees just won't get back pay at all. So that means like janitors and cooking staff at places like the Smithsonian, they're not getting back pay when the government shuts down at all. So imagine, you know, and these are very low wage workers too. Imagine living uh, just thinking that your job might not be there for a couple weeks. You know, just the, the uncertainty of having to go through this every couple weeks is just... It's brutal to think about.
1: The workers that would benefit the most from back pay and from stability. Gosh. Uh, Well, here's a tweet from the Washington Post, Robert Costa. McConnell is considering taking up the Green New Deal for a vote in the Senate as a way to rattle Senate
0: Dems. Uh, And Time Congressional uh, correspondent Alana Abramson tweeted, is there a troll emoji? I mean, there's a turtle emoji. I know that. (laughs) Uh, Kate, why would uh, McConnell do this? (laughs) (laughs)
7: <laughs> Sorry, um, because he wants to get everyone on the record. I mean, this is—I uh, know we're still a little ways out from the election, but this is the kind of stuff that ends up in ads against Democrats for the next two years. You know, they voted for—they uh, voted for various elements of the Green Deal, and in places like in, in you know red states, like that's not going to play as well as for the you know. And and for the 2020 folks, it'll it'll go in ads against them as well. Um, this is just something that Mitch does. It's something that Harry Reid did. You know, it is putting your opponent on the record on a controversial subject so you can play it in an attack ad.
1: Okay. Uh, so can I ask? Do we know how popular is the Green New Deal with senators?
7: So. Um, The problem is is that there's not a lot of detail in the Green New Deal. So the overall idea of the Green New Deal is pretty popular. Uh, You know, moving towards some big plan that really tackles climate change uh, in the next 10 to 15 years. Like that idea is popular. It's the nitty gritty. It's the details. Uh, There are ideas that are more popular than others. Um, The resolution that was introduced in the Senate is not that specific. Um, so there are a lot of Democrats in the Senate that do support it. It'll be interesting to see if Mitch McConnell attaches. What he can do is he can go in and attach different amendments on more controversial, specific topics and put people on the record that way. Okay. Uh, and so we'll, you know, it, we'll see what Senate Dems do in, in, that, in that position. A lot of them might vote present, which is kind of a way of getting out of it. You just say, like, I have no opinion on it. Mm-hmm. Not going to vote.
0: Okay. Okay, so uh, I'm just going to think ahead, uh, a few Twitter news cycles um, where we see terms bandied <laughs> about, you know, and we actually, I, at least I feel, I'm like, I can't even remember what it meant. For people watching now or right. later, what exactly is the Green New Deal?
7: What exactly is it? Yeah. Do Are you know? asking me? Yeah. I mean, that's a great question. We don't really know. Right now, it, right now, it is a resolution to tackle climate change in the next 10 to 15 years. I mean, the, the specifics in terms of what they want to get done, what Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez wants to do is probably very different than the approach that, like, Kamala Harris wants to take, right? So what it is, is vague, at the moment.
1: What it is, is vague at the moment. Mm. Well, Kate, thank you so much for joining us this morning.
7: TBD, as I always say. <laughs> <laughs> she's always like, you know, we'll see how it plays out. Is TBD. It?
1: TBD is in D.C.
0: <laughs> well, um, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. I'm going to go for this name. All right, up next, Stephanie speaks with Reshma Johnny, CEO and founder of Girls Who Code. Stay tuned. TBD, is it a good day? We'll find out.
2: This is Lady Lead, and I am so excited to be joined by Rashraa Johnny, CEO and founder of Girls Who Code and the author of the book Brave Not Perfect. Thank you so much for coming
4: on. Thanks, Stephanie, for having me.
2: So, I was just telling you, I read your book yesterday <laughs> and it was a great read and you talk a lot about how girls are socialized not just by their parents but by mm. society at large raises them to believe that they have to be perfect in so many aspects of their lives. And one of the things you talked about was this really interesting anecdote with your son on a playground and watching how boys play and how girls play. And I was wondering if you could
4: share that with us. Totally. So like, I always tell parents like, go to a playground and you'll see the boys like climb to the top of the monkey bars and just jump head first. And then you'll watch the girls. And you know, if something spills on their dress, their mother will run to them and like clean them up on their diaper bag. The young girl steals a toy from somebody. She'll say, honey, you know what? Don't take that toy away, right? We're constantly fixing and prodding our girls. And with our boys, we just kind of let them run rampant with a booger in their nose and like yesterday's breakfast on their shirt. And you really see how this starts at such a young age. I grew up with two brothers, so I definitely related (laughs) to that
2: aspect of it as well. And you also talk about yourself, and obviously we're both women. What was it like for you growing up? Did you feel this
4: pressure as well? Oh my God, I mean, my parents came here as refugees. I was always raised to be like the good Indian daughter. You know, when elders came in the house, we had to like touch their feet. Um, You know, I had to like be a straight A student, you know, be really good and diligent. And I wanted to be that perfect daughter. And I woke up at age 33 in a job that I hated, And I felt trapped, like I felt like it was done. And I remember I was on the phone with a girlfriend who just basically gave me the permission to quit the job that I hated and do the thing that I knew that I always wanted to do, which was run for office. But it's so crazy because I think so many of us think that when we have the perfect life, when we're the perfect daughter or the perfect girlfriend or the perfect spouse, that we'll be happy. And we realize that we're not.
2: I love that anecdote in your book, too, about your friend calling you because it just made, showed me, too, that like even though we're talking about kind of the downsides of being a woman, that yeah. one of the great things about being a woman is being pulled up by your female friendships. I'm curious, too, you talk about the difference between women of color mm. and white women, how they experience this need for perfectionism. Can you talk about that? Yeah, a bit I just wrote an
4: article about that. Look, I think it's harder for women of color. It was harder for me as a woman of color because uh, I had to do everything twice as good. I had to be twice as perfect. And so, like, is there even an opportunity for for women of color to be brave? I think what's amazing is you're seeing women like Stacey Abrams, you know, who, like, got an election stolen from them and is just right back out there, like, running again. She's not letting her failure take her away from her dreams. You're seeing Kamala Harris stand up when she announced that she was running for president saying, I am not perfect. So you're seeing women of color really be these kind of brave examples of authenticity and leadership and saying to the rest of us, you know what, you don't have to be perfect to lead. And I think it's a powerful example that we need to see right now.
2: This past election, you're right, we saw so many women of color and women who had never run for office before running for office, some winning, some not winning, and you mentioned that you also ran for office yourself, Mm -hmm. and you had this big, I wouldn't call it a failure, but you know, you had this big failure. failure. No, 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 it was a failure. (laughs) I run twice and lost. It was definitely a failure. But you had this thing, and you kind of pulled yourself back up, and look at you now. You're so successful. And you learned a lot from that experience. It's something that I feel like women don't talk about a lot. And I just wanted to know, if, what is your advice on the other side of that?
4: Look, I, when I lost that race, I thought that, like, failure would break me. And the biggest aha moment was, like, oh, my God, I'm not dead. Like, I'm okay. And this is what I talk about in my book is this idea of your, your bravery muscle. And it was the first time in my life that I had done something that was truly brave, that I didn't give up before I even tried. And it led me to lead a movement to teach girls to code when I didn't even code, right? And so like, you never know like where your journey will lead you. And this is why I tell women, it's like, just start. You know what I mean? Just do something. Take one step towards your dream. You know, practice imperfection. Send an email with a typo in it. Right? Seriously. Or without have, an
2: exclamation Or, or without, or you know, emoji. As we talked about on the yay, show. <laughs> right?
4: All the time, right? We overthink everything. And it holds us back, I think, from living our fullest potential. And Stephanie, look, I didn't write this book because I want more women to, like, raise their hand for promotions. I believe that bravery is joy. I believe that when you learn how to be imperfect, when you start basically, you know, being constrained by the structures that have been put upon us, and you start living a brave life, you will live a happy life. And we're seeing bravery on the biggest stage. We're seeing six women run for president. We're seeing women take down powerful men in the Me Too movement. But I want to see everyday bravery. That when you're walking down the street and someone bumps into you, you don't say, I'm sorry. Right? You have the bravery to, like, go to the gym for yourself. You have the bravery to say no. Like, it's that everyday courage that I think is going to build a revolution.
2: That is so inspiring, and obviously one of the bravest things you did was start Girls Who Code. Mm -hmm. Why do you think, why did you choose coding, especially as you mentioned, you don't code yourself, correct?
4: Listen, I've had a job since I was 12 from like Baskin-Robbins to like retail. This is where the jobs are at, and this is certainly where the innovation is at. You know, you can make $120,000 as a software programmer, and you can maybe build the next Facebook, you know, in a better way. Like I think that girls are change makers and I want to make sure that we are not left behind, right? That we are sitting around the table creating the next products on climate change or anti-bullying, you know what I mean, or privacy apps, right? Like we are building the future and we need to do that. Women need to be a part of this change.
2: I totally agree. Thank you so Thank you much so much for, much for having me. us. Brave Not Perfect is in stores now and you can grab yourself a copy or one to share with a friend. Up next, Hay sits down with Star Trek Discovery's Wilson Cruz.
0: Hello, my queens. This is The Sit Down, and I'm here with Wilson Cruz, one of the stars of Star Trek Discovery, and one of the stars
3: of our lives. Hello. Aww. Hello. Hi, thank you for having me.
0: Um, so let's get into this yeah. Star Trek tea, honey. Okay, so the last time you were on the show, your character, Dr. Culper, was very much
3: alive. Yes. Very vibrant. Yes. He died, mm-hmm. but he's, I feel like he's coming back. Is it coming, he back? Is coming back? It's not a secret. It's the worst kept secret. Okay. On, on <laughs> I was like, I'm not trying we, to get in trouble with I mean, CBS. Man. No. As soon as as soon as that episode aired, okay. we wanted to make it very clear to people that this was just a chapter in the story. Okay. This is an epic love story. It. It, is, it spans life mm-hmm. and death, mm-hmm. and um, yes, I will be coming back. That's yes.
0: so good. Um, why was it important? I mean, say more. I mean, yeah, yeah. you know, we, we don't get to see still too many epic, you know, sci-fi yeah. queer stories. So what, what did it mean to
3: you to know that the story was going to continue? Well, you know, you're right. We don't get to see these love stories, especially uh, between two men, mm-hmm. right? Um, and especially two openly gay men mm-hmm. who are playing these openly gay right. characters in the future, um, and it's important to see that you know our relationships and our our love stories are as as vibrant and epic mm-hmm. and you know um, as important as anybody else's. Mm-hmm. Um, and in my twenty-five year career, I've I've had very few opportunities mm-hmm. to express and and really. Um, delve into that kind of story so to do it with my my dear friend Anthony Grapp who Mm -hmm. is an amazing actor um, Mm -hmm. is is overwhelming but you know I think it's important that we we see the love in our community Mm -hmm. as well and love between two men and two men who um, you know this is also an interracial relationship as well so Um, It's exciting, it's exciting. It's beautiful.
0: Is there ever, you know, as you've done wonderful work with GLAAD, and of course you've always been so um, out and and a a real advocate for conversations about representation. Mm -hmm. And and sometimes I do wonder when you're actually doing the work on set, Is there a bit of pressure, you know, because, you know, the stakes are high. People do go, well, listen, we don't have a lot of these stories,
3: so we want them to be. Um, You know, when I'm working, Mm -hmm. whatever I'm doing, if Mm -hmm. I'm working at GLAAD or if I'm working on set, Mm -hmm. you know, as an actor, um, I'm focused on on the job at hand. But, you know, Anthony and I are very um, aware of the Mm -hmm. story and we want to make sure that we get it right. Um, You know, the first season, we wanted to make sure that when that kiss happened, Mm -hmm. that first Gay kiss on mm-hmm. Star Trek happened. That that it that it meant something. Right. That it came from a real place, um, and that it was done in the right way. So in that way, mm-hmm. um, where we are advocates, right? Mm-hmm. We want to make sure that we're telling the story in, in a proper way, in an effective way. Mm-hmm. Um, when I worked at GLAAD, mm-hmm. my job was to speak to networks. Um, and studios and advocate for more representation. And so I had to put my hat on and really think about it from the business side. Mm -hmm. Um, And in that sense, I had to express to them just how, how important and how good for their business it would be Mm -hmm. to have these stories be told. Mm -hmm. Um, And they're finally getting it. They're finally getting it. Yes. I hope they continue to do so. Um, You and Anthony seem to have known each other for a long time. 20 years. Okay, 20 years. When did you first meet? Do you remember We met um, at my put-in rehearsal for Rent on Broadway. Oh my God. So I I had done the show, Mm -hmm. I had done Rent in Los Angeles Mm -hmm. and then they transferred me over to the Broadway Mm -hmm. show when Wilson Heredia, the original Mm -hmm. angel, moved to the London show. Okay. And it was Anthony's last month in the show before he left for for London and we met in that put-in rehearsal Mm -hmm. Um, and we've been friends ever since Um, because you know at the time the late 90s there were very few openly gay actors who were working in this in the way that we were Mm -hmm. and so you know we knew we know what that experience is like Um, and so we've we've built a friendship of love and respect for each other and the relationship that we've created on Star Trek mm-hmm. really comes out of that. Yeah, that's beautiful. Um, and of course, you know, you and Anthony both have relationships to to
0: Rent and uh, mm. Rent Live just happened. Yeah. And so, speaking of what you just said, what did it feel like uh, to
3: see Rent, you know, put on a national, uh, nationally televised uh, performance? Yeah. Given everything you know. You know, uh, you know, when you see Rent now, mm-hmm. as opposed to when you saw it twenty years ago, um, now it's a it's a it's a, a bit of a history lesson right mm. because we have to remember when we right. watch rent now that yeah. that was a time when people were dying of this mm. disease azt time right azt was the only drug available at the time um now it's it's a completely different reality right mm. but we have to remind people that we were going to funerals on a weekly basis mm. that there were young men of color who were dying in hospitals right here in new york in los angeles and san francisco who whose families were not visiting them who had to create chosen families in order to create the support they needed and in, order to, in order to get through that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it affected the way that we walked through the world. And mm-hmm. so Rent is an opportunity to talk about that and to honor those people and honor those lives. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was moving to me that we had a... a a national opportunity to have that conversation again and remember all of those people
0: and remember the love. That's so beautiful. That's so beautiful. Well, speaking of chosen families, yes. uh, I'm part of the Drag Race family. Yes, <laughs> at least I, I believe I am. Yes. Um, I saw that you um, and Anthony both tweeted recently about wanting to to judge on the show. Yes. So I want which camera can we? Uh, I want you to look in the camera and tell these girls, tell
3: them why you and Anthony Rapp should be guest judges. First of all, Ru. We've known each other a long time. I don't understand how, I'm not, how I am not haven't been on the show already. I'm kidding. But listen, Anthony and I um, represent the future and Drag Race represents the future. I think it's an, a great opportunity to bring together these two worlds. Um, and it'd be fantastic yeah. to do an episode that was Star Trek based, Obviously. like Star Trek fashion. Yes. Come on, bring yeah. it. Yes, the future. Let's do it. Let's do some futuristic themes. Yes, I would love it. Yeah, let's do it. But, um, you know, and we're both huge, huge fans of yes. the show, so.
0: I stand, all right.
3: Let's do it, boo-boo. Let's put it out there, let's put it out there. Well, before
0: you go, uh, we wanted to play uh, a quick round of One's Gotta Go. Star Trek edition. Okay, what's okay, that? Okay, girl. Uh, you're, I'm going to give you some options. All right. And all right. you're going to have to eliminate one of them. Mm. And it's good luck. I, I, I wish you the I best. I hope I understand okay. what this means. But okay, <laughs> okay, one's got to go. You have to get rid of uh, Star Trek series, original series, mm-hmm. or you can get rid of Next Generation or Discovery. Which one are you kicking out?
3: Ne- uh, uh, original? Or the original, Next Generation, or Discovery. Well, Next Gen was what I grew up with, okay. and, and I need my job, so... <laughs> Um, thank you, Captain Kirk, for all of that. But you got to go. Yeah, see, you, did. you did a pragmatist. Okay, one's got to go. You
0: can get rid of Kirk, Archer, or Pike.
3: Why are you doing this? You're they people are gonna hate me. Kirk, Archer, or, or Pike. Pike. Uh-huh. Well, we did without Pike for a long time. Okay. I'm sorry, Anson. Look, you gotta go.
0: <laughs> I like this. I love you're like. You, I love you're like.
3: Oh, this is so hard. Bye.
0: <laughs> uh, savage, honey, savage, savage. She's a savage. Um, alien races: Klingons, Kelpians, or Vulcans? Wow. I know. Who, who are you most afraid of pissing off in that group?
3: Wow, that was, <laughs> was um. Goodness. Who would I? Kelpians. Yeah. Only because we've had, we went out w- without them for so That's long. Fair. I don't know. I love you yeah, so and much, Yeah, you don't Doug want Jones. no smoke from the Klingons. I, you don't want that. Oh wait, no. I yeah, no. We need you need a, an adversary in a you story. Oh, okay. Look, at he, you're so pragmatic. Okay, one
0: more. This is brutal. Um, the reboot cast. Yeah. Who would you get rid of? Chris Pine, Zoe Saldana, or Zachary Quinto?
3: Oh my God. <laughs> I, I will only get rid of Chris Pine if he comes to my house. Look at that. Listen, <laughs> where the door, one door opens, another one opens.
0: <laughs> come on, Chris. It. Listen. It's comfy over here. <laughs> I live. We stand. <laughs> Wilson, it is always a pleasure. Thank you for hanging out Thank with you. us today. Um, new episodes, episodes of Star Trek Discovery air Thursday on CBS All Access. We have to figure out how Dr. Culper comes back. Yes, Vinny. Okay, and more AM to DM is up
1: that. It's <laughs> said, Chris, <laughs> come Come right over.
0: Here's a tweet from Yvette Dion. Sexual abuse was never just a Catholic church problem. Since 1998, roughly 380 Southern Baptist church leaders and volunteers have faced allegations of sexual misconduct and the churches have protected the abusers in their ranks. Wow. Well, I'm joined now by Robert Downen, a reporter for the Houston Chronicle, one of the authors of this three-part investigation. Robert, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thank you for having me. Thanks. Okay, so uh, a lot of people have fairly been comparing this investigation to the many uh, stories um, into the Catholic Church and its own history of abuse. Um, Though, how is it different?
8: So, I think a really important thing to understand about Southern Baptist Convention is that, unlike the Catholics, it does not necessarily have the same kind of hierarchy. You know, they don't answer to a pope or a bishop. Um rather, it's it's more so a cooperative of sorts of forty seven thousand churches spread across the um, mostly southern United States, but you know all across the country and world. Um, and because of that, it the ability to you know, just say, hey, this is what we're going to do to for any kind of thing is much more difficult because they all these churches are self-governing and kind of autonomous. Um, so it's one of the reasons that leadership's leadership has, usually um, declined to implement any kind of top-down reform to stop some of the sexual abuse that we have found
0: wow okay so let's let's break into that structure based on your reporting how has the leadership um you know responded based on your reporting and how have um, local leaders responded because as you know those are two pretty different dynamics
8: sure so i thus far the leadership response has been overwhelmingly positive you know i think that there's a lot of reflection going on within the Southern Baptist Convention, both at the local level and at the national leadership level, um, whether that produces any of the serious reforms that you know activists have been yelling for and pleading for for decades now, I think that really remains to be seen. Like I said, um, a lot of it does kind of have to fall on the local church and local churches to really come forward and say, hey, this idea of autonomy shouldn't be used as an excuse for, for, for implementing reforms. So Um, it's certainly um, inspiring to see how many people have, you know, taken it to heart and appreciated the reporting, but whether that produces any top-down national change, really, um, we'll see. Right. Good to
0: hear. Still a lot of work to be done. Well, to that point, the second part of the Houston Chronicles series focuses on how Southern Baptist churches hired dozens of leaders previously accused of sex offenses. Um, How exactly did that work?
8: So um, the Southern Baptist Convention, it is extremely easy to become ordained. Um, You know, just today, a local pastor wrote a piece in one of their uh, blogs saying some Southern Baptist churches would ordain a ham sandwich. And so what that means is that it allows predators to pretty easily get into the ranks. All you have to do is convince a handful of people at your local church that God has spoken to you and you feel called to service and boom, pretty much you're a you are a ordained Baptist, Southern Baptist minister, and you can kind of just infiltrate the ranks, move from church to church. And because they don't track ordinations or any kind of sexual abuse, convictions, or accusations, um, and a lot of these cases are handled internally, what that means is that churches may unsuspectingly hire someone who you know, had, had faced allegations two churches ago, and sometimes that is that ends with that person finding new victims. Um, so... Wow.
0: Well, let's talk about the victims, because again, 380 abusers uncovered in your reporting, over 700 victims. So were there any stories um, that really stood out to you?
8: I mean, I think every every story we talked to, I can't even tell you how many victims we spoke with. Um, But I mean, the the ones that we've profiled in our first story are the ones that stuck out to me just because, you know, the the odds in so many cases are stacked against these victims um, for justice. Whether because of statute of limitations in some cases, as we saw with the David Pittman case, or because church leaders, after they do come forward, you know, ask them to forgive their attackers or, you know, let it go, as one mission board official told Ann Miller. Um, and you know, it's it's not just the abuse that, you know, is traumatizing for these people. It's the idea that after they do have the courage to speak up and come forward, they find themselves being ignored or shunned or demeaned by the very people that they thought were meant to protect them and in many cases we found that is not equally damaging as the abuse, but as far as long-term consequences, it is absolutely devastating. Yeah, absolutely devastating.
0: Well, listen, um, uh, this, this story shook me to my core. I, I grew up in Texas. I grew up in the Bible Belt. Um, I know many family members and friends who are raised in the Southern Baptist Church. So, you know, you've published this series. From the perspective of, of readers, everyday people who are not leaders in the church or not journalists, what advice do you have for them? You know, where do they go
8: from here? What should they think about? I mean, I think, it, you know, no institution is immune from predators, but there's, at least in our findings, there are so many cases where people just weren't believed. And I think that is, you know, the, a lot of these reforms that are being discussed right now within the Southern Baptist Convention and which were declined in 2008, a lot of them would never have been necessary if people just believed people when they came forward with serious allegations and they allowed law enforcement to do their job. I mean, so much of this in in all institutions would be prevented if people actually believe people when they tell them about horrific and traumatizing things that have happened.
0: Absolutely, believe survivors. Robert, uh, thank you and your colleagues uh, for reporting the story and thanks for joining us this morning.
8: Sure, thank you so much for having me.
0: appreciate it. All right, friends, up next, Isaac and I are going to read more of your tweets.
1: Welcome back! Uh, in celebration of Saeed joining the Casey Musgrave standum, we asked you what's some great new to you music that you came too late. Axel, Kuhn, uh, sorry, Kuhn says, just discovered Jenny Lewis myself last week. I'll discover her in five years. You'll be there in five years, getting that those folky vibes. Is there? I'm I'm trying. There's like somebody's name I can't pronounce. Wait, correctly, no morny, no moroni, non mari, normani. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I was like, that could I feel gone. like that's bubbled Normandy, into my life Normandy a little bit. She's I'm still, like, she's Ooh. Fierce, she's
0: fierce. I mean, I tell you, um, you know, I'm not ashamed to say I was sitting in um, a bar in San Francisco in this is probably spring of 2012, um, you know, having drinks with a, a writer friend, Mayhew, and, um, and uh, Stevie Nicks and uh, oh my god. Dreams came on. Oh, yeah. Dreams came on. And I was like, you know, I've heard this song quite <laughs> a bit. I like it. Who is this? And you mm. know what the key was? Mm. She was so, like, chill and the way she was like, oh, yeah, it's Dreams by Fleetwood Mac. They're pretty dope. You'd like them. That's how she did it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, cool. I went home and listened to it. And so I, this is my advice to folks. When people, like, come in late with a book, a song, a movie, whatever that you like, just be like, oh, it's dope. You're going to love it. And that's all you need to do. Don't do the, like you know.
1: Especially for Saeed, you kind of just have you, to put it there, and you just kind of have to let him discover yeah. it on his own. So
0: she'd been like, "I can't believe you had a hurt, hadn't heard a Fleetwood Mac." But also,
1: that's the other thing.
0: It's it's let people yeah. enjoy
1: things. Enjoy. Everybody comes from their own different backgrounds. People come to their things and their yeah. own experiences. Let people enjoy things. Yeah. I'm just saying. <laughs> And i tell you. We wanted to know some of your <laughs> worst
0: subway experiences, and I've retweeted a bunch. Y'all have so many, and they're all so horrible. <sighs> Here's one from Lily. Um, I had a friend in that position, you know, getting stuck, not having money for the metro card. He had no money on his card, and none of us had money to pay his fare. Uh, a man saw us uh, jumped the turnstile. My friend followed suit. Five minutes later, that same man who had been watching flashes his badge and hands him a ticket as our train rolls in. That's right. Like, New York City... At different times, has invested in literally having undercover cops. That's
1: entrapment. <laughs> I feel like though that seems that's a little. Yeah. That seems like, and I'm gonna open the door for you. Come on in, and right. you're busted. Yeah, that's that's. A I, little you lot. know,
0: I've when I have time and depending on what's going on, I've swiped people in. You know, if I, I can, if you have that unlimited, you know, it's I, like come on, let people in. Like a,
1: always helping out know, a little bit. The MTA is not a fun experience if you can take a little bit of that load yourself. Uh, yeah, I'm like, if you want to come into this hell <laughs> <state. laughs> good luck. Well, listen, Shelly had this to say about Said's interview with Wilson Cruz. Mm. Wilson Cruz out here saving my gay life with a flat out, it's an epic love story. I needed this today. Thank you. And I do want to say, I noticed Shelly had tweeted earlier that she rescheduled some meetings oh. so that she could watch that sit down. Oh. So Shelly, I'm glad you enjoyed it. I'm glad life was given. Wilson Cruz is great. It yeah. was delightful. It's was really
0: fun. That was a lot of fun <laughs> to watch. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you, Shelly. And to all of our guests, Jake Ophinharts, Taylor Lorenz, and her apartment lighting, the decor, mm. always on mm. point. Her plans. her plans. Kate Sarah <laughs> Rachel Moussa, Johnny. I love that conversation. So good. That was really good. Bravery's
1: about joy. Uh, Wilson Cruz and Robert and Thank you all, guys. Let Listen, Saeed is going to be off tomorrow, but I'll be here with Chantal Rochelle. Tomorrow it's 10 a.m. We will see you then. It's my Friday. (laughs) Happy Friday, buddy. Thank you.